Open up your Bibles to Genesis 17. Genesis 17. We're going to read Genesis 17, and then uh, we're going to pray. As you're, as you're getting there, I'll begin praying, or I'll begin reading, as it were. Uh, now it happened that when Abram was 99 years old, Yahweh appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, so that I may confirm my covenant between me and you, and that I may multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God spoke with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations, and no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will go, go forth from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your seed after you, and throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your seed after you. And I will give to you and to your seed after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your seed after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you, and your seed after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. One who is born in the house or one who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your seed. A servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He he has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations." Kings of people will come from her. Then Abram fell, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a son be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a son? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you will call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his seed after him, As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of twelve princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. So he finished talking with him and God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day 
as God had spoken with him. Now Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the very same day Abraham circumcised, was circumcised, and Ishmael, his son, um, now all the men of his household who were born in, his, in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. A lot of times I have to read circumcised. Uh, but let's uh, pray together now as we look to God's word to hear from him. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for blessing us with uh, the wind that reminds us of your strength and of your might um, and even of your goodness as it's pushing clouds around and rain comes through you and through your goodness. And we're thankful for your word that also comes to us and even brings an exceptional, special amount of grace and goodness from you. May we not be um, hindering our hearts from hearing it, but may you open up our hearts to understand and appreciate and respond correctly to what your word has to teach us this morning. Amen. Well, you can kind of tell this chapter is just one big conversation between Yahweh and Abram, soon to be Abraham. It's just dialogue from beginning to end. Matter of fact, you can see it's not just God speaking out of a cloud. It's not just God speaking in Abraham's head, but you even get the sense here that God has appeared to Abraham. God has come down. God has sort of humbled himself to speak to Abraham to continue to repeat promises to Abraham and even give new insights into the promises. God has come down to encourage and strengthen Abraham's faith. And we see this dialogue. Um, First off, you see Abraham. You could kind of break down the chapter this way. In verse 4, God is making promises to Abraham. You see that as for me in verse 4, God is saying to Abraham, this is what I'm going to do for you. And then you see down in verse 9, as for you, that's when God says, this is what I want you to do in response to these promises that I have given you. And then you see in verses uh, 17, 15, as for Sarah, your wife, this is how I am going to bring these promises to pass, right? So you kind of see God is revealing how he's going to fulfill his promises, and he's slowly working down uh, through the list. And just, just a reminder where we're at, right? God has given many promises to Abraham already. If you've been reading through Genesis, you, you recognize that some of this is not new information. In Genesis 12, verse 2, God already promised him to be a great nation, right? A great name, a great blessing. In Genesis 12, verse 7, God promised him the land of Canaan already. Um, in Genesis 15, 4, God kind of upped the ante on the promise and said, it is going to be a son from you. It's going to be your own biological son. It's not going to be your servant. It's going to be your son. And of course, you remember this led to all the problem with Hagar and Ishmael. Well, if it's going to be coming from me, but Sarah's having some problems here. I'm just going to go through my wife's handmaiden. That's what we're going to do. It's still my biological son, right? We've already seen that. But all these promises have already kind of been demonstrated. But we see here that God wants to confirm his promise even more with Abraham and even reveal more of the great blessings of Abraham. But before we get to that, let me just talk to you really quick. Do you ever read a Bible story and say, man, if I was in that person's shoes, I wouldn't have any trouble 
at all, right? What a great blessing and privilege Abraham had. He just got to hear God speak to him. How would my faith be stronger if I could just hear God speaking to me all the time, right? I wouldn't make the mistakes he made if I was hearing God all the time speaking to me, right? My my faith would be strong because I would have the very promises from the very mouth of God themselves, right? Well, I think actually stories like this are actually meant to remind us of what it looks like to believe the promises of God and be someone who follows after God and after his promises. And actually, our situation is very similar to Abraham's situation, right? You may think maybe your situation is harder than Abraham's, or maybe Abraham's is harder than yours, but actually I think Abraham's story is very similar to ours as we uh, live a life pursuing God's promises, seeking God's promises, hoping in God's promises. And I want to make kind of this point by just kind of looking at the, the various aspects of the life pursuing uh, the promises of God today um, and, and just make, and make a couple of simple parallels between our own. But first off, I want you to notice the patience of God's promises. If you're one of those people that think Abraham had such an easy lot of faith, maybe you should think again, and maybe you should read your Bible a little bit closer. Have you noticed the patience of God's promises? God takes a long time to bring his promises to pass. Days pass. Years pass. Matter of fact, it's kind of fitting that we haven't been in Genesis since like December, mid-December, Because it feels like a long time since we've met up with Abraham, and maybe that's an appropriate uh, way to kind of jump between Genesis 16 and 17. If you just read through them, you might miss the fact that a lot of time has passed, and Abraham has just been plodding along after God, following after him, and following after his promises. But did you notice, um, verse 17.1 begins with a, a statement of how old Abraham is at this point. Abraham is 99 years old. And if you move up one verse, you see that a lot of time has passed since the last time we saw Abraham. The last time we saw Abraham, he was taking Hagar into his house, kind of officially making Ishmael his son, calling him Ishmael, which means God hears. But when he was doing that, he was how old? 86 years old. How much time, math math majors, now's the time for you to shine, how much time has passed since God last spoke to Abraham. You held up four fingers. Oh, I see what you did. That equals ten and three. Okay, yeah, 13 years. How many of you are not even 13 years old yet? All right, a few, a few, a few, a few. Well, anyone, how many of you are like 14 years old? 15, anybody 15, 15, okay, 16, okay. 16 is only three years older, right? For some of you, this is the length of a lifetime. And for all of us, we remember how long 13 years is. 13 years is a very, very long time. And don't you think we're meant to kind of make a suggestion here about what the life pursuing after God's promises feels like sometimes? Sometimes it's not all big and exciting. Following God sometimes is a lot of mundane, everyday life. Abraham went 13 years just following after God and trusting in his promises, right? And we even see here Abraham was a little bit confused about how God would fulfill um, his promises even, but there is a patience required of God's promises. 
Sometimes being a believer, just note this, just sometimes being a believer is just like this. Sometimes you don't have much to go on. You just keep obeying and trusting that God's word is going to be fulfilled someday. And you live day after day, week after week, year after year, just continuing to follow God. And following God isn't so flashy or exciting. Sometimes it's very ordinary. Sometimes there's a lot of Tuesdays of regular waking up, doing your school, obeying your parents, and just going to bed at night. That is what following God and hoping in his promises are. It's not always exciting. Sometimes a life of faith is not always exciting, but that's the way with God and the way with his promises. We follow after his promises, but the years add up and they keep going on. But the question is, the question is, can your faith handle the ordinary days, right? Do you have a faith that's able to follow God even when it's plain, even when it's ordinary, even when it's normal, or does it always have to be exciting? Because if you have a faith that always needs to be exciting, you might not have a faith that's willing to follow after God. Because sometimes following after God requires a lot of patience. I'm just simply going to believe what I've heard from God already and keep going. I'm not going to look for any new experiences, any new revelation. I'm just going to continue by faith in what I've already heard. What does Abraham know? My God has made promises and my God hears, right? That's Ishmael's name. My God hears. Abraham knows God hears, and so he's going to just continue to follow God. When God wants me to know something more, when God wants to change my situation, he will. But until then, I'm going to be faithful in what he has called me to do now. That is the patience of God's promise. That is, that is sometimes not very fun. Very, that's very ordinary at times. Notice another thing about a life pursuing God's promises. I want you to notice also the prize of God's promises. And here's where we get into God's kind of uh, word about Abraham as he continues to reveal new blessings. And, and I just want you to notice this, the, the, the prize in all of this, the, the prize, the preciousness of these promises. Notice what God says to him. Notice what God says to him. My covenant will be with you. You will be the father of a multitude of nations. You ever notice that? You ever feel that? Sometimes I just need God to reaffirm things. Sometimes I just need to hear God's word again. I don't need new things. I just need reaffirmation. You're going to be the father of many nations. And God even changes Abraham's name here to Abraham, which is special and unique and affirming this promise of him being the father of many nations. God continues to affirm the promises that he's already made. But then notice also here, he says in verse 6, right? Father of many nations, I will establish my covenant between you. But then notice, I will give to you your seed, this land, and I will give it to you as an everlasting possession. Right? God has, has promises for Abraham, and they are everlasting promises. And then isn't, that, isn't that so precious? That God continues to affirm the, the beauty and the sufficiency of his promises. Sometimes our faith just needs confirmation. Repetition. Sometimes I need to read the same passage again. Sometimes I need to listen to the same sermon again. Sometimes I need to read the same books again and once again get my hands around how good and precious the prize of God's promises are. No, they're very, they're very precious. And, and notice here, God's, God's gift to Abraham has a distinct quality that can't be rivaled by any other gift or any other God. God gives us eternal, everlasting gifts, right? He doesn't give us 
temporary things as much as he gives us eternal things. And the life of faith is really just a life that continues to follow after God, believing in the the betterness of the things that he gives. But God gives everlasting things. That's encouraging to me because we live in a world of, how shall I say this? Uh, Planned obsolescence. Anybody know what planned obsolescence is? It's a big conspiracy out there. It's totally proven, right? Um, Companies make things cheap so that you will wear them out and have to buy new things. Our entire life is just buying new things, Uh, whether that's computers or whether that is cell phones. Some people actually say that uh, for a while Apple was making their iPhones so that they would actually slow down when you put updates in them. So here, word to the wise, never download an update, right? Uh, no, I don't know. I don't know if that's still happening. But right, there's this, there's this sense that uh, they want the thing to break or they want the thing to wear out so that you'll have to buy more of the thing. <laughs> what a good business strategy, right? Uh, that could be planned obsolescence. But we also live in a world of perceived obsolescence. I, I was reading about this as well, right? Perceived obsolescence is when you begin to think of your thing as less than valuable because you see everybody else with the newer model of your thing, right? Nothing makes your phone feel old than when you are texting on somebody else's phone and you realize how slow your phone is, right? Nothing makes your car feel quite so old as when you are passed on the interstate by a newer car, a newer, newer model, right? It's perceived it's getting old, it's failing, it is diminishing, it is rusting. Now, we, we live in a world where things decay, both because of the evil of man wanting to make more money, and also because of the fact that we live in a world of sin, too, right? We live in a world where things just fall apart. And whether it's perceived or if it's real, things don't last, and things lose their value very quick. You, you know this to be true, right? That Christmas present that you got 12 years ago, that was so incredibly wonderful to you. Man, 12 years is too long. Six years ago, that was so precious, you probably don't even know where it is anymore. Maybe some of you do, but it's not as precious as it was before because there's something new and better. Things always wear out. Things always get old. There is nothing in our life that is called everlasting. But not with God's promises, right? God's promises never wear out. They never fade and they never fail. Think about this. You will be enjoying God's promises forever, and you will never, ever think, man, can't wait for the newest upgrade. They they will never wear out. They will never not satisfy you. You will enjoy enjoy God's promises forever. And you will never have a point in in eternity where you're thinking, oh, man, this is getting kind of old. This is getting kind of boring. The thing that makes things get old and get boring and disappoint is sin. And you will be in an eternal life where there is no sin, and you will have eternal enjoyment. God's gifts are eternal things. And and, and notice notice also the the real prize, though, of all of this. The prize, though, you, you could say, you could say, wow, how precious it is for God to promise a place for his people, right? God's always providing places for his people, whether you're in the old covenant, you're in the new covenant, we, we always see God as providing a place for his people, right? I want you guys to belong somewhere, right? If you are, if you are one of God's people, you always know where you belong, whether that's in the church of God, you know, the, the kingdom of God, you, you always have a place to belong. You have a community that you're surrounded with. God provides a place for his people. You always belong somewhere. 
But, but notice here the real prize of all of this isn't necessarily all the eternal things that you enjoy, the, the millennial kingdom, the eternal state. This isn't the real prize of all of this, although God is speaking about that. I'm going to give you guys something internal, and we can apply that even to ourselves very easily. But notice, the real prize in God's promise is a relationship with Him, right? He said, I'm going to give you this land as an everlasting possession, and in that land, verse 8, what does it say? I will be your God, right? God gives everlasting things that are wonderful. But the best prize of all is that God gives us himself. Ever think about what that means? That God gives you himself? That the gospel is about getting God? And that means God says, I will be your God. I I will hear your prayers. I will be with you and I will be for you. And I will never fail you, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. That is the prize of God's promises, that you get God. Or think about it this way. If you could have, you know, we have weird perceptions of, of heaven, and thanks to the Millennial Series, we're kind of clearing those out a little bit on Sunday nights, right? Actually, there's going to be real, tangible, earthly elements to God's kingdom. Even in the eternal state, there's going to be seasons and nations and all these kinds of things. But... But what if you could have all of that? What if you could, you know, let's just say in the millennial kingdom you can run really fast and you can fly and, and you, can, you can do anything. You can talk for hours with your friends if you want to. You, you, you don't have a phone because you can just spend a really long time with people and get caught up and then you're all together anyway. You know, you can, you can climb all of the mountains and still breathe, right? You, you can enjoy all of this. You, you can have an abundance of food that tastes really good and never doesn't taste good, and you can keep eating all the time, and your body perfectly digests it all, right? What if you could have all of these precious things that never fail to please you, but God wouldn't be a part of the equation? Would that be good news to you or bad news to you? You kind of know what your faith is based on the answer to that question. If you could have all of heaven and its joys, but without God, would you still take it? No, for the people of God whose hearts have been changed, what I want most is God. What makes it such a precious thing to me is that God is there and I'm with him forever in the person of Jesus Christ. That is what makes eternal things so precious. But notice God provides a place for us so that we might be with him and enjoy a relationship with him and worship him and praise him and glorify his name forever. I glorify God forever through enjoying his presence and his promises, right? That's the prize of God's promises. Don't ever forget that. God gives you wonderful things, wonderful gifts, but really to enjoy in relationship with him. And that applies right here to our world, doesn't it, right? Everything you have from God is a gift to enjoy him through, right? Even the the hard things of life, God has given you these things in his providence, his control, to enjoy him through and to glorify him through. But the ultimate prize of eternal life is knowing God, being with God, having God as your God. That is the prize of all of these promises. That's, that's the way it was in the Old Testament. That's still the way it is today as well. Let's think about something else, though. Uh, let's think about the picture, the picture of God's promises. This chapter has a lot of pictures in it because God wants faith to be strengthened. So sometimes when he wants to strengthen our faith, he strengthens it through giving us pictures. 
pictures. Matter of fact, you see here, this um, practice of circumcision is developed here, instituted here. This comes many, many years after God made his initial promises to Abraham. And as Paul would tell us in, in Romans 4, right? Uh, it's not, this is not Abraham working his way into God's grace. This is Abraham receiving God's grace by faith, being justified, being made right before God because of his faith, and then being called by God to believe God and follow him in obedience, but not to make himself right with God, but in a, a proper relationship with God. This is how I want you to live. I want you to live as someone who is distinct. And, and that, now we get into that, right? The circumcision issue. This is, of course, the, the thing that marks a Jew set apart from all of the other nations. This doesn't mean that circumcision wasn't happening before then. As a matter of fact, in Egypt it was, it was happening before then. But there's a distinct theological significance that we see um, a circumcision take on here. There's some elements of it, like the fact that it's done on the eighth day. That's unique. Um, the fact that it's not really attached to marriage, getting married, or to you know puberty time. That's usually when the ancients would do it. But here, God says, I want you to circumcise while you're infants, so there's something unique here. God really wants to communicate um, a picture. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a mark on the body, but it's, it's, it's supposed to be something that's packed with theological promises to it. And, and for... For the, the old covenant Jew, you could say that circumcision is something that has all these pictures attached to it that's pointing your faith forward, looking forward to something that God is promising to do in the future, right? Here, here it gets a little te- technical, but let's just talk about the pictures of the promise a little bit. Once again, uh, the foreskin, uh, this is a male uh, reproductive organ, verse 11. But what is this supposed to do? What is this supposed to communicate? What's the picture that we have here? You, if you're a Jew, if you're Abraham, if you're in Abraham's house, if this happens to you and you say, I am here, I am here to belong to God. I am owned by God. I, I am marked by God. I am God's possession. And, and notice here, this happens to Abraham when he, is, when he is old, when he is 99 years old, and there's really no hope for having a son in his own strength anymore. And God says, I'm going to put this mark on the, the part of your body that really is, promotes reproduction in order to show you, in order to remind you that you are here because of me. All the kids that you have are because of me, because you are owned by me and you belong to me. You are not your own, you belong to God. And, and, and then you see in verse 14, right? Anybody who doesn't do this is, is cut off, right? There is a sense in circumcision in which you're saying, I want to, I want to possess God's promises, right? I, I want to intentionally have my family under God's promises, you can say. You, you can say, I, 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 want, I want those things, right? I don't want to be cut off from God's promises. I want to believe and hope in God's promises. So by pursuing circumcision, you are saying, I, I, I want this. I, I want what you're promising, God. That's what circumcision is pictured as. And then notice also, you need to be, there's also this sense of, of cutting off something, right? I, I need a profound change in me. There, there is sin in me that in order to be in a relationship with God, I, I must have removed, right? I, I must have this removed. And, but, but notice how, how vivid it is, really. You say, because of circumcision, if you're, you're a Jew, like every, every part of me, every aspect of me belongs to God, Right? 
I mean, if, if, if this aspect of me belongs to God, every aspect of me belongs to God. I am owned by God everywhere if God owns me, even in, in the most intimate, private of places, right? That's what you're saying to God. And I'm not trying to be gross, but notice that's what God is communicating. God wants his people to associate the most, the most intimate part of their life with belonging to God, right? You... you in the same way, right, are bought with a price. Your, your mind belongs to God. Your, your thoughts and your desires, they are there to honor God, right? If, if God wants my worship in my heart, if he wants my heart to be circumcised and changed before him, and in the new covenant through the Holy Spirit, I have that hope of being changed. God wants all of me changed, right? That, that's, that's what he's saying. That, that's, it's very vividly described there because of the male reproductive organ that you're talking about. But, 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 notice, but notice also <coughs> verse 14 as well. Right? I, Thus my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Right? This is a permanent change that's happening to you. And once again, this is once again trying to instill on the people of promise, right? I need to be continually reminded of God's promises, right? This is like putting a tattoo on your body. Uh, I love Jesus, right? This is, I'm, I need to be continually reminded of something here. I need to be continually reminded that God has made promises to me, and I want those promises. I need to be continually reminded that, that I need inner change. I, I, I need to be holy before God, and I need to have a, a remarkable change in me. I, I need these things to be reminded. I, I need to be reminded that I am not my own, that I belong to somebody else in, in even the most quiet, secret way. I need to be reminded of that. That's what circumcision is for. It is a picture, but notice it's a picture for faith, right? It's a p- picture of God's promises. Uh, verse, uh, sorry, n- number four, think about the pains of God's promises as well. Think about the pains of God's promises Sometimes, you'll find this in the Christian life, the more God speaks, the more challenging things become, right? You, you almost get this sense by verse 14 or so that Abraham's beginning to say, okay, now things are moving forward, now things are making sense, now I'm starting to understand God's program here, right? He, 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 just, he just wanted to wait a long time to fulfill his promises, that's all. He's just wanting to delay a while. But, but notice, then God keeps speaking in verse 15. What does God do? God says, I am going to increase the difficulty of this promise. I, I am going to say, this promise is going to come to you. You're going to have your own son that this promise is going to come to. But this son is not going to be the son of the slave woman. This son is going to be the son of Sarah, your wife, your old wife, right? That, that for the last 13 years has not had any kids. And even 13 years before then, it was pretty clear to everybody that Sarah wasn't having any kids, right? God waited till after, after it was absolutely impossible in Abraham's mind to suddenly surprise him with the wonder of his promises. And once again, sometimes God continues to speak and his words make things even harder to believe through Sarah. This is the hardest part of the promise. We even see how difficult this is because Abraham falls on his face and laughs. This is like an uncontrollable laugh. (laughs) I can't even believe that's that's not even going to happen, right? 
It's something so outrageous that even at his old age, uh, uh, probably a faith that's been trained to trust God so many times through so many ordinary things, God says something that even makes somebody like Abraham laugh to himself. Now, I wouldn't say this is a a mocking unbelief. (laughs) God, you're silly. We we see that kind of response when Sarah hears that she's going to have a kid, and she laughs, and we know that it was kind of a mocking unbelief kind of laugh because she's rebuked by God. God doesn't rebuke Abraham. He just simply repeats, no, this is how I'm going to do it. What do do we have here? We have Abraham, maybe not mocking in his unbelief, but doubting, just genuinely doubting, though he wanted to believe. There's that story of of the father who had a, a son that was possessed by demons, and he brought him to Jesus, but Jesus wasn't there because Jesus was up on the mountain with uh, his disciples, three of his disciples, and he left another, another batch of the disciples behind, and those disciples couldn't cast out the demon. You remember that. And the, the father then is left with his son still in his crippled state from the demon, and then Jesus comes down the mountain, and, and what does Jesus say to the man? This, this, this demon can only be thrown out with faith. It's clear that the disciples had gotten a little bit too confident in themselves. They thought it was all about them, and they forgot who really, really was responsible for this. It is Jesus. And then Jesus says, bring the boy to me. And then Jesus says to the man, all things are possible if you believe. And, and the father is just like, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? This is genuine faith. Matter of fact, I think this is probably the way sometimes God works in our life to bring us to a point where we recognize how little we believe and we're bringing that confession to him. Lord, I am very weak in faith right now. And that's actually where God wants us uh, because that is less faith in yourself, less faith in maybe your circumstances, your situation, your skill set, and that's more faith that's ready to be put on God himself, right? That's what Abraham has here. It's, it's wanting to believe. It is It is laughing before God, maybe in a sense of, Lord, help my unbelief. But sometimes sometimes having faith is hard. Sometimes having faith is is painful and difficult because you don't totally understand how God's going to do this. And we even see this point illustrated elsewhere in the chapter. Um, It's kind of funny if you think about it. God changes Sarai's name to Sarah and Abram's name to Abraham. Now, now, why is that significant? Um, kind of in the, yeah, you, you understand this actually. What does it mean to you if I change your name? Well, first off, you're like, David, you have no right to do that. You know, my parents. I don't think my parents can do that. You know, right? No, but no, I do that all the time, right? What, what does it mean if I change your name, if, if I give you a nickname? Oh, it means you're known to me. You're, you're kind of special to me. You have some sort of interesting quirk about you that I want to remind myself of every time I hear you, and I want you to be reminded of it every time you hear it, right? Actually, when your parents name you, there is a sense of this, right? There's a sense of, like, when, when in the Old Covenant, when, in the Old Testament, when people named people, it was usually because they were hopeful. They were hopeful that this person would become like that. And sometimes you wonder, like, why would you name somebody stupid? You know, because that's the name, what it came to mean, you know, just how it name. But that's besides the point, right? But, but when you're a parent, you hope things for your children, and that's sometimes what's wrapped up in the name you choose for them. So, for example, uh, Lucy, Lucy Theodora, um, light of God, right? We want her to be a light for God in a dark world. That's meaningful. Andrew Knightley, 
Andrew is the word andros, which means man or manly. One of them to be manly. His middle name is Knightley, which of course is named after the character in Emma, the best man alive, Mr. Knightley. But it also means knight. Uh, it also means manly. I want him to be manly, manly. So you know, <laughs> guys sometimes need a very uh, uh, firm repetition to get the point. I want you to be manly, right? Yeah, the, sometimes that's what we as parents do. We hope for things and we we name you accordingly. And and oftentimes you see this. Oftentimes. You see the, the worst behavior from people with the best names, right? It doesn't always work that way. If parents can't actually predict what's going to happen. We want something to happen. We can pray for something, but it doesn't always happen. But think about what it means when God names you. God has perfect knowledge of who you're going to be. So when he names you something, you can be sure it's going to happen. And and then think of the preciousness of having God know you and call you by name and say, this is your name to me, right? That's a a precious promise, right? Abraham, uh, father of nations. Uh, Sarah, mother of nations. What What a precious gift from God. He knows me, he loves me, and he is determined to bring this to pass, right? When you think of your name Christian, whoa, that's that's blessed, right? I'm going to become more and more like Christ. Oh, that's, that's precious to me. And God knows it will happen. God has the power to bring it to pass. And therefore, whenever Christ's name is upon me, I am encouraged and strengthened. But, but, but notice the pain of all that. Because for the next six months, five months, Abraham has to walk around with the name of Abraham. And Sarah has to walk around with the name of Sarah. And you can almost feel the scorn, can't you? Coming from like Hagar and and Ishmael. Hey, mother of nations, come on. (laughs) That's a little bit hard. Sometimes following God means you have to accept a little bit of ridicule. And there's some pain in that, right? Pain, uncertain how God's going to do this. But also other people are mocking you because you're believing in something that they can't see, right? That is the the walk of the person that believes in promises, and it's not always easy. And that leads us to the final thing, the practice of God's promises. The practice of God's promises, (coughs) it's significant. Verses 23 and 26 both say, the very same day Abraham circumcised himself and his whole household. The very same day. Verse 26, the very same day. This This is a picture of faith. Faith believes even when it doesn't totally understand, and faith obeys even when it totally doesn't understand, but it is a right-away obedience. It is an eagerness to obey. It is a, an eagerness to understand more, but even if God doesn't tell me everything and doesn't clarify everything to me, I'm still going to obey right away. That is faith. Trusting that God is able to do what he's promised, even if you don't totally grasp all of the ins and outs of it. This is faith. Even if people are going to ridicule me, even if people are going to mock me, I'm still going to walk in faith. I'm still going to, that very day, obey and believe God. But obedience like this requires faith, doesn't it? Even a weak faith. It requires faith. Matter of fact, faith fuels obedience. If you're slow in your obedience, you're really just slow in your faith and in your love for God, and in your belief in Him, right? 
But, but notice this, and this comes to the whole point of why we're in Genesis, right? God acts towards you with wisdom in order to grow your faith. Uh, God sometimes delays, makes things difficult for you, in order so that any other explanation than his grace and his goodness can be eliminated from the equation, right? I want you to believe in me, hope in me, and I don't want any other explanation than me in your life. I want you to come to the end of your life and say, grace alone, grace alone is my only, only confession for why my life turned out the way it did, right? Even when things are bad happening to you, it's grace. God's grace on me that he has chosen me to suffer for his name. When something good happens to you, it was God's grace that he has chosen to bless me so that I might magnify his name more. This, this is how God works. And believe it, God is wise and God is strong to grow your faith. And he always does. But are you going to respond in, in obedience and faith and trust? Or are you going to look around at the world that's mocking you and say, oh, I'm going to kind of ease off on obedience? Well, God is sm- smart and God is wise. He will get you. He will discipline you. It's much easier to just say, I'm going to obey and believe. I'm going to obey. I'm going to believe. That's the practice of God's promises. Not always easy, but it's instant. It's fast. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for this day that you've given us and for this little small part of your word that shows us what living after your promises really looks like. We pray that we would be um, more faithful to you. Our love for you would be accelerated Our trust in you would be grown, put things into our life that we need, not for our comfort, but for our faith in you. It's it's more precious to have you as our God than to have comforts in this life. So please do whatever you must to make us even more and more um, your people and faithful to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.